I am incredibly pleased to be here with Shalini Sharma, the CEO of Zern, who is going to talk to us about math. Uh, so to get started, can you just introduce yourself a little bit and uh, tell us just very briefly about Zern? Yeah. Hi, Emily. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Shalini Sharma, and I am the CEO and co-founder of Zern. Um, <clears throat> by way of an intro, I will just say that um, I took a wandering path to math, and I am by no means a math genius. I'm exactly the opposite. Um, and I um, am proof of the mission, the core mission of Zern, which is all kids are math kids. Um, and about 10 years ago, with a bunch of teacher friends, I founded um, an education technology nonprofit called Zern, and we built a learning platform where we teach kids math and um, we build a technology that complements teaching. Um, we're used by one in four elementary school kids in the country. And um, <clears throat> the, um, as I mentioned before, the core belief of Zern is that all kids are math kids. And when you're on Zern, um, making mistakes is how you learn. And, um, and we try to make math both fun and make sense. Are you used primarily in schools, primarily by individual parents, uh, just to give people a sense of like, where are they seeing Zern? Sure. So that was simpler before the pandemic began about two and a half years ago. Everything was simpler before the pandemic began. Thank you. <laughs> um, so the you know, most of the time, you know, if you read kind of all the educational studies and um, even as we see the math scores come out, you'll see that math is taught and learned in schools. That's that's where we that's where we build our math brains. Um, whereas we'll see with the test scores that come out soon that reading is is something that happens at home and at school. Personally, I would love to see math learning happening in more places, but because math learning is happening in school, that's where we started and we began. And so Zern's the user experience and how it's built is really, it's built by teachers um, for teaching. So if you're inside of the, the Zern experience, you'll see it as technology that really complements teaching. And so before the pandemic, as a result, 99% of the use of Zern was during the school day, during the school weeks. And if it was the weekend or the summer, the app usage was, was almost gone. Once the pandemic hit, that changed pretty dramatically. And so math moved out of the school day into summer, into, <coughs> excuse me, after school hours, into what looks like weekends. That isn't just because parents jumped on. So a lot of parents did sign up and create free accounts. As a nonprofit, we want to make great math accessible to all kids. And so you can set up a free account on zern.org as a parent, as a teacher, and as a tutor and support kids learning math. Um, but also we um, support schools and districts with all sorts of additional supports and services. And for that, there's a fee. And that allows us to be a sustainable organization. Um, and so that pushing math out of the kind of traditional eight to three, Monday to Friday, you know, months of the school year, that is happening. And it's driven by states creating after-school programs and tutoring programs, or it's driven by local communities supporting their students. So after-school um, community centers, it's driven by parents. Um, so what you will see now is 
the Zern usage on the app platform data bleeds out of the school day, bleeds into the summer. Um, I think that's wonderful because children do need some extended time and support for the time that they missed. And um, and we certainly, as as a technology, we can we can fit any time of the day. You just load a browser. Um, and so we're we're really excited to support all of those new extended time um, areas of math learning that are happening. Yeah, and we're going to come back. I have some questions about uh, pandemic related things, but yeah. i i wanted I wanted to to ask something that has been on my mind because we've seen so much of this discussion in reading. So when we talk about literacy of late, there has been a strong push movement in the direction of recognizing that phonics is really important. And then in a lot of places, we've been effectively teaching reading wrong with too much focus on balanced literacy and not enough on the basics of phonics. And so if I wanted to summarize that, I would say there are many people who would say we've literally been doing this wrong for several decades. Is that true in math? Is there something that is the phonics equivalent of is there a phonics equivalent in math that we're missing? Yeah, I love that question. I I, I love um, I love lots, so many of your questions, Emily, and so I love this question too. And I'm so happy to share, and also sad to share that the answer is yes. We are doing it wrong, and there is something that is missing. And when you see students succeed in math, or you see entire countries succeed in mathematics um, in a way that our country isn't there are a few commonalities that we see. The first one I think should be a relief to all of us because it's actually how our brains work, um, which is that, you know, X's and Y's and symbols and all that gobbledygook, it's hard to understand. And so, you know, even if you're, you know, a world leading economist, you are going to try to understand what you're working on with pictures, with metaphors, and with really concrete and simple um, representations in your mind, right? So, you know, I was listening to a podcast recently and um, there was, you know, the the creation of the periodic table of elements, um, which is a scientist named Mendeleev. And he sort of, he just kept thinking about elements and then he just dreamed a table and he was like, okay, if I just put it in a table, it will all make sense. And so this idea that even people at the very top of their games as scientists or mathematicians, they still need pictures. They still need full representations. And, and there's, that is the equivalent of the focus on phonics. We need to make it concrete. The human brain, the majority of our experience on earth is in the concrete world. We understand concrete. And, and all of mathematics can be represented concretely. So I'll just give you the simplest example which is unfortunately a tricky question for a lot of people, but what number is bigger? One half or one third? Which one is a bigger number? Okay, so if I if I ask you that question, you might have to think for a minute because two is a bigger number, or pardon me, one half is a bigger number than one third, but two is a smaller number than three. And so that's confusing. And so then you might memorize some rule, which is, when you're in when you're looking at fractions you flip it and the bigger numbers are smaller okay gosh good luck remembering that instead imagine a cake do you want half of it or do you want a third of it okay i still don't get it got it do you want a cake do you want to split it with two people or do you want to split it with three people 
no, I, I just split it with two people. I want half that cake. So the more we can help children and adults bring all of these symbols into what they really mean using stories, concrete objects, pictures, the more math makes sense, the more children understand math. And this is what you see uniformly in all the top OECD countries. That is the core structure of their mathematics. Um, so that's, that's what I would say if I had to pick only one thing. There's a couple more, but I, I would leave it with concrete pictures and objects. I find that interesting because it is reflective of the differences I see in the way I learned math and the way my kids are learning math. And I will say I'm very pleased with the way my kids' school does math, although occasionally I am wondering why it's not the way that that I did it. But it, and it, like concrete example for me is, you know, in how we approach multiplication. So I, when I went, was in school, we really more or less just started with there are a set of facts called multi multiplication tables mm-hmm. and you memorize them and you just memorize them. And that's the beginning of multiplication. You know, we explain there's a symbol, it's called X, it's multiplication. Maybe we spent seven minutes on what it meant. And then we just went to, to memorization. And when my kids started multiplication, there was so much emphasis on the idea of arrays, you know, years of discussion of arrays and we're putting the cans in a row and, and we're trying to understand what that means. And only once we got really far down that road, did we get into, okay, actually it's helpful if you've memorized these facts, but that was so, so secondary to the way that we, that I learned it. And I think for many parents, it feels a little bit weird, right? And it, it relates to some of these new math ideas that, the way that our kids are learning this is not the way we learned it. And it makes us feel in some ways a bit afraid and also unable to I- engage with it. So, you know, my daughter will come home with these, she's got some thing in fractions where there's a big one and it's, she seems to find it very helpful, but I, I can't figure out what it's about. And I think a lot of parents have that, that sort of, there's a discomfort, which maybe we already had with math and is, is even worse when our kids are coming home doing math in ways we don't expect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you've hit three topics. Um, and at some point, like I'll let you guide us to delve into all of them, but you know, for a lot of folks, success in math or lack of success in math made them, made them question themselves as learners. Like, am I a good learner? And, and your success in math when you were seven or eight was defining that. Well, I'm a good learner only at some things. Or, you know, I'm a great learner or, um, you know, when it gets hard, that's a sign I'm, I should stop. Or when it gets hard, that's, that's actually is learning. That's what that feeling is. Right. And so, so much of the definition in our framing of learning and what is, what is learning, um, unfortunately was framed in sort of, um, often humiliating in high stakes ways in math. And it, it didn't have to be like that. So I think that's one thing that's coming up for all of us. And the second thing, the second thing is this, this question of concepts versus procedures. And there's a great, um, there's a great economist piece um, where, you know, in the kind of economist voice, they're critiquing America as if we're like, their dumb little brother, which is their voice, which I love. I love that point. Of, I love that part of the economist. <laughs> um, if you listen to an audio and they read it in the British accent, that's really, exactly. that's the win. Perfect. Um, and, and the piece concludes with um, 
something like, I'm not going to get it as, you know, exactly right, but something like, as usual, America is swaying from, you know, one end to the other end of the pendulum and just can't get it right. Um, and so that that's what's going on with concepts and concepts, learning, you know, concepts like arrays, um, which are concepts that, you know, the most uh, advanced STEM workers are applying into their work. Um, and so it's a, an idea you better understand um, if you want a STEM career. And it's also an idea that makes multiplication easier and simpler to understand. That's, but you can spend so much time in arrays that actually you don't know what three times three is. Yeah. And then on the other hand, there's how I learned um, multiplication, which is just straight memorization. And then, you know, you sprinkle on top of that my parents from India who were like, well, why don't you just memorize your 15 times tables too? <laughs> That'll be more efficient. Yeah. <laughs> just go all the way. All the way. It's, I mean, it's not on the test. Um, you know, and so, so this kind of, um, you know, kind of rote memorization. And, and it is the case that if you look at the last, you know, about probably 70 years of American, at least since the 1950s, um, you see American education swinging from one pendulum to the other. And what you see consistently countries that are outperforming the United States is they do both. So they are able to present concepts so children understand multiplication and they're able to get automaticity with key facts so that children's working memory is cleared and they can they can do other things and they're not sitting and, you know, putting cans out to figure out what nine by nine is. Because you can't bring, you know, thousands of cans to the SAT. So, you know, you got you got to at some point know this stuff. But but what I would the last thing I would just want to say is that um, I could not explain why three times zero is zero in college. Like I couldn't explain that. And, you know, that's startling to me that yeah. I can't explain that. My children can. What, Obviously, what, what is the explanation just for those of us who are now struggling with this? Yeah. So, what, what do you think? The, yeah. So let's say we say, let's say we always say that we think about when we're multiplication, we're talking, when we're multiplying, we're talking about plates of cookies. Obviously I'm talking about cakes and cookies, but so you can see where my mind is this morning. But so, <clears throat> so three plates with zero cookies on it. That's what three times zero means. So you have three plates in front of you and they all have zero cookies on them. So how many cookies are on all the plates? Mama, that's a dumb question. Zero. There's no cookies on any plates. So much clarity, right? And so, okay, got it. So then what's three times one? Well, there are three plates and each has one cookie on it. Obviously there are three cookies. And, and that is proof level thinking, right? Yep. That's all the way to getting to a proof to a fundamental axiomatic understanding of mathematics. Think about that. So, you know, that's one of the cool things is when we do present concepts to children, they can understand math at the axiomatic level. I think that's great. I, that's, that's great. I mean, the other thing that has happened in this more recent period that I find very interesting is the kind of earlier move to representational mathematics, to the idea of things that look kind of like algebra showing up, you know, for my, even my first grader yeah. where it's, you know, three plus fill in the blank is five 
what is the blank and and recognizing that that's that is effectively algebra but it's not uh presented in this scary way where where it's an x but then later when you get to the x it's like oh i saw you know i saw this before is not so not so terrifying yeah so we're starting to hit some of the other things that are that you know when back to like the science of reading so the first one i said was pictures and objects. And the second one we just talked about, to name it, that other countries are doing is they're balancing concepts and um, procedures, concepts and memorization. They're balancing that. We tend to swing. And this is the last one you just hit, which is building mathematical understanding so it's flexible. And and that flexibility you name as algebra, which is could be a great name for it. But that flexibility is also, it, it gives you like the trust in math. So if I added these numbers, how do I know that, that I'm right? Well, I can subtract them. I'm totally in control of this. This is, this is a, you know, using a technical term, this is autodidactic. I check myself and I can learn myself if I'm right or wrong. And so that's what we teach when we teach three plus blank is five. We teach that it can go in both directions and that it must go in both directions. And so you have a way to always check. Yeah, which of course reinforces more than just having memorized that three plus two is five, which is a fact, which devoid of the broader the broader context. Yeah, it, this is not what I what we're going to talk about today. But one of the things that always comes up for me here is the realization that you know as we make some progress on doing this in the the elementary school math, I would really like us to make more progress on d- data parallel to this. So, you know, my kids, I think, learn this kind of math really well. The truth is when we get to data, they think that data is just asking your friends uh, how many pets they have and putting it in a chart. Uh, And that to me is not all of the things that you can do with evidence. And so maybe someday we can develop some more tools for uh, having people understand correlation and causality in the first grade. But I'll, we'll we'll do that offline. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So I wanted to to sort of uh, step back to the to the pandemic uh, at least briefly um, to talk about recovery. So one of the things that I've been studying over the last couple of years, and I know we've we've talked about, is the fact that there have been tremendous learning losses uh, broadly, more in places that were more remote, but in general, this has not been a period of, of tremendous learning for kids. And it means that a lot of kids are coming into this school year, but also uh, came into the last school year very far behind. Uh, and there are a couple of different ways one could approach someone who is coming into the fifth grade, effectively not having done fourth grade math. One way that we can approach that is to redo fourth grade math in the fifth grade and then somehow try to do it more. Another way we can do it is start in the with the fifth grade math and try to backfill. You want to tell me what you guys have learned about the right way to do that? Yeah. Yeah. So this is, um, so, you know, we have um, millions of kids doing billions of problems on our web application. And so with that, there's there's so much data. And I too have a love of data analytics, um, as you do, Emily, though, um, you know, I rely on these wonderful data scientists in our on the Zern team. Um, but we're we're always kind of combing and looking and asking asking our data questions. Um, and so one of the questions we asked 
last school year as teachers are going back into the classrooms and schools getting started was what exactly should kids do who had missed let's let's take the example i have fifth i'm a mom i have fifth grade twin boys um so let's take the example fourth grade was heavily disrupted for my children and so and they were starting fifth grade and so the question is very real for me and hits home which is what should fifth grade teachers be doing um and as luck would have it, there because there's so much activity on the app, there's a natural experiment that um, one of your one of your fellow um, one of your fellow data science advocates um, for the first grade, uh, Steve Levitt. Um, we were chatting with him, and he sort of discovered that as as we were talking things through and how um, behavior on the application was working, he's like, I think there might be a natural experiment inside the app that happened then. He's like, so you're telling me that some teachers went back and retaught a lot of fourth grade and they made that uh, instructional decision using your software, um, you know, this technology that complements teaching. That's what they chose to do. And some teachers began with fifth grade and only supported students, either, either the software itself supported students with the bits of fourth and third they needed exactly when they needed it. Um and occasionally supported with a little bit more fourth, but primarily took kids through fifth grade. And I said, yeah, that did happen. He's like, great, let's look at it. What happened to kids? Um, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that when I saw the analysis, I fell out of my chair. I could not believe it. I made everyone do it again. Um, but it was actually the children who, so these both sets of children had fourth grade disrupted. One group went back and did many, many lessons, weeks of fourth grade before they moved to fifth grade. And one group of children started with fifth grade and only had snippets, surgical slices of fourth grade put in as they were moving through fifth grade. So obviously, this, the group of students that did mostly fifth grade got more fifth grade math learned, obviously. that that's. But what was shocking is the fifth grade students, the students who did mostly fifth grade content, they struggled less. So they threw up fewer struggle alerts on our platform. When a student is struggling, an alert hits the teacher, and those students threw up fewer alerts. So somehow doing the fifth grade content and only getting presented with help when they didn't understand it was easier for the children to work through than redoing swaths of fourth grade that they had experienced the year before, but it was just, it, it didn't make sense then, doesn't make sense now. Um, I can't exactly explain either the brain science of that or the psychology of that, but it is, it's astounding. And um, we are, you know, more to come in the next month or two. Um, we'll come back and share it with you, but we're doing that analysis again at, at a deeper level um, to see what, what it continues to show. That's incredible. And in some ways surprising, but I think also extremely valuable, not just for pandemic recovery, but in general for thinking about how we help kids move forward and how we address inequities and all of the other questions that have been exacerbated, but not completely, uh, but are not new to, to this period. Yeah. Um, Okay, so I am going to end there because I feel like you and I, as usual, could talk for like three hours, uh, but uh, we'll save it. We'll do. We'll have you back. But I really um, thank you for thank you for doing this and yeah, totally. Uh, 
and I really appreciate it. And um, I will say just for people who are listening that uh, my kids really love Zern. And so uh, Zern is, uh, Zern is really, it generates a lot of interesting data and also uh, is quite fun. They have particular teachers that they like, uh, that they like the best. Who do they like the best? I like Mrs. Johnson. Oh, Mrs. Johnson. Mrs. Johnson. Yeah. She's popular. For a long time, my kid's favorite teacher was Mr. Sawicki, who they thought was Mr. Zucchini. Okay. Yeah. We we like Mr. Zawicki. He's good. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good afternoon. Take care. Bye. Bye.